Hi everyone, this is Alex Schmitz. Before we get into today's episode of College Football Throwdown, I wanted to mention that we did have some technical difficulties with this episode. I was using an older portable microphone because I was away on vacation while recording this episode and it has some pops and crackles in the audio that we didn't catch until post-production. We apologize for the decrease in audio quality for this particular episode, um, but it will go back to its normal state uh, by the next episode. So once again, apologies for the audio quality, but hope you enjoy the discussion. Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 122 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Cornhusker fans. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Uh, For those who are listening to this podcast for the first time, this is College Football Throwdown, a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. We're a father-son duo uh, talking remotely. Today, I'm not actually in California like usual. I am coming to you from Molokai, Hawaii. Because you're a star. <laughs> That's right. I'm a star, baby. Yeah. Gotcha. And I am, uh, I am in Apache Junction, Arizona. There we go. Both in different locations than last we That's talked. Right. That's right, um, and I'm yeah I'm actually here visiting with your brother AJ, who's been on a couple podcasts in the past. Yes, yeah. So enjoying that here, and got to watch the uh, the football game. I think it started at like four o'clock my time because we're right. whole five hours uh, ahead of the East Coast. Right, right. Well, and 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 that's just I wish they would you know. If they're going to do it on a on a Monday instead of a Saturday, which which is a whole nother conversation, but if they're going to do it on Monday, you'd think they could start it before eight o'clock Eastern time, don't you? I mean, come on, uh, you know, if somebody is going to that game uh, out east, right? Because the game was played in Indianapolis. Um, um, if someone's going to go to that game, they could get there by six or six thirty, but no, they they want to be able to push it out there. And so the damn thing doesn't start till eight o'clock Eastern time. So people who are watching it on the East coast, you know, it was well, well past midnight before it was over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, not, not good for the sport. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was actually three o'clock my time then when it happened. Um, but before we dive into the conversation about the national championship game, we've got to stick with our tradition and crack open a beverage. Uh, I've got a longboard Island lager here from Kona brewing company. Oh, I love Kona Brewing Company. <laughs> awesome. What say that again? It's a longboard what? Longboard Island Lager. Lager. It's a lager. Okay. That's very good. Have you had it before or is this your first one? No, I've had it before. I've uh, okay. AJ had a couple here and I like it. Awesome. That's cool. Well, I have a kind of a special beer tonight too. I have uh so you're familiar being uh, from uh Michigan uh you know, when you come up uh, and spend time in Traverse City, we often drink Oberon's, right? Uh, which is a, a, a summer version beer, you know, that often is uh, served with a citrus, like an orange slice or something like that. It's a nice beer, lighter on the, a little bit on the lighter side, but a, just a good, good uh, wheat beer. Uh, but this is a unique version of that, okay? And I'm going to read the description to you. It's, when winter comes, 
snowbirds travel south. That would be me. But but this lucky batch of Oberon heads to the barrel <laughs> and becomes Uberon is the bourbon barrel aged version of our iconic American wheat ale. It's strong, spicy, and ready to cap off the night in style. So that's what I'm wanting to do here. I'm going to cap off my night in style. So, uh, you know, the typical Oberon is probably about a, I don't know, 5.2, 5.5 maybe percent alcohol by volume. Uh, after aging it in the uh, bourbon barrel, the alcohol content goes up to 11.3, <laughs> which is almost like wine. <laughs> yep, well, so... It's late for you, so you're you're finishing the night strong. There you go. Exactly. So Bell's Uberon. Here we go. And it's a bottle for me, so. <sighs> <laughs> all right, all right. Um, enjoy. Enjoy your Kona beer. I love Kona brewing. Yeah, I like it too. All right. Um, so, uh, before we talk about the national championship game, there's actually one other bowl game that happened after we last talked, um, which was the Texas bowl, Kansas state against LSU. And interestingly, uh, Kansas state won, uh, rather dominantly actually 42 to 20. Yeah. Uh, uh, that surprised me. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I don't know the particulars of how many, players from each team, you know, chose to opt out and all that, which obviously can have an influence on something like that and can create scores like this even more so. But I, I think it's often an indication of who really wants to be there and who doesn't. And I think uh, if you looked at the rosters, uh, you would say, well, LSU's got way more talent, but obviously they'd gone through a coaching change and were trying to figure things out. Um, and uh, they got their, their selves whooped. Uh, because I don't think they really wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. Yep, and K-State definitely did, more so than them. Right, exactly, exactly. So That's one of those situations which we've seen quite a bit this uh, particular bowl season. I agree, and it's, gonna, it's only going to get worse, I think, as we continue down this path of the college football playoff structure. Well, yeah, especially if they do expand the playoff. Um, you know, then more teams are getting in the playoff and it makes the other bowls even more irrelevant, you know, and the national mm -hmm. stage. Right. But apparently they're, they're not able to, to agree on a new number, right? Did you, I did, did see, you hear that? I heard, yeah. I saw something about that. Yeah. Yeah. So they left their meetings that they had. They had meetings obviously right after the national championship game, since there's so many people in town, they, they go ahead and, and, and congregate some meetings to, discuss some of these critical issues and and one of the meetings where they had hoped to maybe get a little closer to an agreement um you know they didn't and yet they really probably need to make a decision by the end of this calendar year because uh you know because of all the contracts and you know getting things let out for a uh, bid and all that takes another year or so so they got to they got to get the ball rolling here pretty soon and apparently there's there's pretty significant disagreement on what the next step is going to be. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Well, yeah, the group of five has their own interests, which we've talked about before. And then there's the other conferences, you know, and how should everything be allotted in terms of conference champions and all that stuff. So, um, right. Yeah, there's a lot to figure out. Um, but then, of course, we've got the uh, championship game. 
and on our previous podcast, we gave our predictions for the game. Uh, and I, uh, being the optimist, as I often am, was rewarded in this particular instance uh, because I predicted that Georgia would win 28-24, uh, to 24, whereas you predicted that Alabama would win 38-21. Yes, you, you were right, and I was wrong. Uh, but I'm happy to be wrong in this situation. Well, and I don't think we discussed it on the podcast, um, but uh, Vegas actually had Georgia favored by three. It was a minus three. It was, no, but it ended up being minus two and a half for Bama. So it Uh, opened at minus three for Georgia, but then obviously transitioned over the time from the opening to the actual game where Alabama ended up being minus two and a half. I see. So, well, I thought that that initial minus three for Georgia was crazy because, uh, you know, Alabama spanked them so bad in the SEC championship game. Um, right. But turns out maybe Vegas knows something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's true. Um, they usually do. So, yeah, the final score actually ended up being 33 to 18, Georgia over Bama. Um, and... I think we talked about this on the previous podcast that uh, Georgia's defense and how they would adjust compared to that SEC championship game where this vaunted, you know, best defense in years uh, looked silly against Bama. They couldn't get any pressure on Bryce Young, and they were he was just passing it all over the place. Transition to this game, though, they were blitzing a lot, being very aggressive, um, making Bryce Young have to step out of the pocket, um, and just in general, uh, doing a much better job, shut down Alabama's rushing game almost totally. They only had 30 yards of rushing over the course of the game. Um, So that was definitely uh, a very marked improvement that was immediately apparent watching the game. I I totally agree. And uh, they they talked about that. Uh, I mean, the the uh, uh, Georgia coach uh, smart uh, talked about that both before the game and definitely after the game about the fact that they genuinely were embarrassed by that first game. And, and they made a commitment themselves. The players did say, we're going to get ourselves in shape. And so they had some additional running. um, You know, they met to do uh, um, fitness running in the mornings to make sure that they would get themselves in better shape, aerobic shape before this game. They were not going to be the ones that were tired on the field uh, in this second contest. And I think that work and that effort certainly paid off for them, along with probably more significantly the change in philosophy that was used by the defensive staff at Georgia. They were, like you said, far more aggressive um, in this contest than they were the previous one. And and that was... um, helped or assisted by two critical things, which was a couple of games back, uh, Alabama lost one of their premier receivers. And then during the game, they lost another of their premier receivers. So they, they were playing that game with two of the starters that they had in the previous game gone. Yep. Well, at wide receiver, and that, uh, that was a huge deal. Yeah, it was. Uh, John Mechie third actually got injured in that SEC championship game against Georgia. Okay. So they were without okay. him. And then Jamison Williams, he had like a nice uh, 30-yard oh, yeah. pass play, uh, yeah, but, yeah. but it messed up his leg bad. Like it was immediately obvious. 
Um, yes. And apparently he tore his ACL. That's the judgment afterwards, which frankly made me surprised that he was walking on it on the sidelines afterwards. I was like, I, I agree. Holy I crap. agree. I, I was amazed when I saw him walk on his own back to the locker room. I'm like, shit, because I saw the knee just completely pop out. Like it separated, right? Like if you, when you watch that, uh, that shot from the end zone, it was just so obvious. I mean, I, I wish they would have shown it again just so I could have no, pointed it out to Kim. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. They shouldn't have showed that close-up at all. That was gruesome. Oh, I, I <laughs> it was gruesome, but it was, okay, I know what happened now. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad you, you were satisfied. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Alabama still, um, in terms of their, they actually out-yarded Georgia overall still uh, 364 for Georgia to 399 for Alabama and 369 of that was passing it. Um, so, you know, they were still getting um, some stuff done, but the having those two receivers out clearly showed there were a couple of times where Bryce Young did get a good ball to one of those receivers that was, you know, maybe a little tough but catchable and they dropped him. Um, that happened a couple Correct. of times. Exactly. I totally agree with you on that. Um, yep. And, and, you know, those are plays that, you know, if he has his, his full complement of receivers, maybe those are catches instead of drops. Uh, and, uh, and that changes the whole structure of the game. Yeah. Well, and actually it was uh, turning out to be a very low scoring defensive game, which of course, uh, AJ, your brother here was very happy about because oh, he happy. likes yeah. defensive battles. Um, it was absolutely, nine, it was nine to six in Bama's favor at halftime, but frankly, Bama should have had a bigger lead because they, every time they got the ball and drove it, they were driving it down into the red zone, like to the 10 yard line. And Georgia each time managed to stiffen up and stop them and force them to kick field goals. Whereas I remember one of Georgia's was like a 50 yarder field goal, right? So they didn't get that close that particular drive. Um, and right. uh, Georgia's quarterback, uh, Morrison, was not looking good. No, no. In fact, for, uh, I would say, three quarters of the game, he didn't look good. And you and I talked, I, I remember we were texting back and forth during the game, and, and we, we, we talked about the fact that, um, you know, uh, Georgia had to be pretty happy going into halftime at down only nine to six, right? Like, because because of what had transpired in that first half. Yep. And I believe you said in the past podcast, talking about the game, that the battle of the quarterbacks might be the deciding factor because clearly both teams had good defenses, you know, productive offenses, but Alabama had the Heisman Trophy winner, whereas they had this guy who, and now I've learned since, uh, start off as a walk-on quarterback, you know, really right. wasn't highly regarded. And an unusual walk on history too. He he walked on because he was a lifelong Georgia fan, uh, but then realized, you know, I have no chance, no prayer of ever playing here, so I'm leaving and I'm going to go to a junior college where I can play. So he went to a junior college, did really well at the junior college, and then was invited back to uh, uh, Georgia as a scholarship player. At that point. Um, because Georgia had had some of those talented quarterbacks leave and they were in need of a quarterback and they had now seen what he could do. And they all obviously knew he had some talent because he, he was on their team before. And so uh, he was brought back to the fold, so to speak. So an interesting path. Uh, uh, and, but again, you know, I, I, uh, 
initially I, I looked at him and I thought, well, he's just too damn small, right? He's, he's just not a big enough guy. And, and, you know, he just looked very uncomfortable for most of that game. He really did. I, I, I was surprised though, after the game was over, I was watching footage and he and, uh, and young that the Heisman trophy winner met at midfield and had a little post game chat. And it looks like he's the same height as the young guy. I see CJ young. I either CJ young is much smaller than I thought. You mean he Bryce was. Bryce young, excuse me, uh, was is much shorter than I thought he was. Or this other guy for, uh, yep. Georgia, um, Stetson, was taller. Yep. Stetson Bennett is his name. Bennett Bennett. Yeah. So either Bennett's taller than I thought, or young is shorter than I thought. And I, but they're, they were about the same size. Yep. Well, and I learned, uh, Bryce young is uh, only a sophomore. Um, so yeah, he's still got time left. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, he'll be, he'll be draft eligible after next season, but, but, uh, based on everything I see, yeah, I think he's going to have another very good year and probably a a reasonable shot at, at, at being a two-time Heisman trophy winner. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but yeah, so yeah, at halftime, I was thinking as a Georgia fan, only down three, you've got to see that as a, you know, positive, but they needed to, you know, make some clear halftime adjustments, right? Uh, even at the end of the second quarter, it felt like Bam was starting to adjust to that blitzing style, you know, that uh, Georgia was going for on defense, right? And picking it up more. Um Right, right, and throwing, making quicker throws. Right. Yep. Yep. And um, I th- want to say it was the fourth quarter where that um, controversial uh, sack of uh, Benton happened, and then the ball came out of his hands, kind of at just as he was starting to throw it of Bennett, um, and uh, and it was ruled as a fumble on the field, even though the ball kind of did go forward a bit. Um, whereas when that happened to Bama early on in the, uh, right at the beginning of the game, um, it was ruled as a forward pass. Um, and so basically that got counted as a fumble. Alabama had the ball right on Georgia's like 20 yard line and easily scored a touchdown there, um, which was their first touchdown of the whole game. Um, and at that point they were up 18 to 13. There was like 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I was like, all right, this is, this is where you know, the fun ends, right? Bama's going to take control of this and, you know, never look back. Uh, but to Georgia's credit, they came out there. And I want to say that next drive was the one where Betson had that great pass into the end zone where the receiver, you know, was covered pretty well, but he still caught it like over his shoulder for their touchdown. Correct. Exactly. It was very impressive. Um, and, uh, I was thinking the same things. I, I was thinking, you know, here we go again, kind of thing. I know they've got the lead right now, but you know, you know, uh, you know, Alabama's going to respond and blah blah blah. Um, and then, of course, they did. And but then, um, what you call it? Uh, uh, Georgia came back and scored again. So it's and and then the other, you know, the the whole interception thing at the end. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was I was laughing the whole time because. They, they uh, you know, they replayed it and they're talking about how the coach is all excited. Coach Smart is on the sidelines and you can see him. He's running down the sidelines trying to yell at the guy, go down, go yeah. down, go down. He, he says it like a, a dozen times. And of course, the kid's not 
not going down. He's like, I'm scoring, man, which he does. So everybody's happy, but, but really the right, the right football decision would have been for him to just run a little bit, get into an open space and drop to his knees and protect the football. Uh, because it would have, it would have been game over, uh, in a safe way that way. I mean, if, if he had been running and all of a sudden, you know, somebody come and tackled him from behind and popped that ball out. Um, and then the ball gets back on the Alabama. Now they still have time to maybe do something. Right. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The smart thing, like you say, would have been to just fall down. And then if Georgia got like one or two first downs, the game would have been over at that point. Cause there wasn't much time right. left. Right. Um, but it right, was, and, and Alabama it, did have timeouts left. Yeah, but it was it was more exciting that way. And at that point, I was like, well, it was funny because yeah. AJ was rooting for Bama over Georgia, but I was yelling oh. like, it's over, Bama lost, Bama sucks. <laughs> you know, I was, I was happy there. <laughs> Bama sucks. Well, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Well, and it, it turned out because uh, Bama actually had one of those drives we talked about earlier, where they got close into the red zone, got stopped, and then their the field goal got blocked. Um, and turned out those three points would have been important because we got to a point in the fourth quarter where each of them was only down by like one point, and they were going for two point conversions, etc. Right. So having that three points at that point in time might have been significant. And what does that say? Special teams are important. <laughs> well, and I tell you what, Georgia's got some good special teams. Their uh, punter and kickoff guy was amazing. Yes. Yes. Well, and, um, and I was amazed because I, I, after watching Georgia's punter, who's one of these guys that would grab the ball and then kind of, look around and you know scratches whatever and then punt <laughs> you know it just seemed like he was super nonchalant about his punting but he, he had his head up and he was looking at what was going on and i thought well that guy is primed for to be surprised by, by an all-out attack you know blitz type of thing to go after the punter where uh because his his natural routine is quite slow and you know 90 percent of the time when the normal return is on, uh, that's okay. You can get away with that, but you damn well better be ready to speed that process up if they come after you. And uh, I just thought that at some point Alabama was going to catch them, but they never did. Never happened. Well, and the other reason I thought that uh, Georgia was kind of bound to lose at some point, uh, especially there in the first half, was that they were getting a lot of penalties. They ended up with oh. 10 penalties for 70 yards. Most of those came in the first half. Um, and they were oh, in yes. some very critical moments too. Okay. Okay. So let's go into this now. Okay. Since we some, had some banter back and forth on this. So here, here's a couple of examples. So you got, you got two plays, two, two penalties called in the game, one on offense, one on defense, both of them hands to the face, which that is a play. That is a penalty that can be called against both an offense or a defensive player. And it has to do with, Basically, someone getting their hand up up in the face of the opponent in such a way that it's 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 dangerous and or provides an unfair advantage for the one player over the other, right? But the the fact is is that any offensive series that lasts more than six plays probably has examples of offensive or defensive linemen whose hands slipped off 
the jersey or the shoulder pad or whatever they were grabbing of their opponent and slid up into that face, face mask area. Okay. It happens all the damn time. And amazingly that was called once on offense and once on defense, but both times against Georgia. Okay. And this is my point. My, my point uh, to you was that these are the kinds of examples of, of circumstances where these teams that are expected to be good get benefits of the doubt from referees who, who tend to notice things that the opponent is doing more than, the, the, than they do this, this highly regarded team. Because, oh, they don't make mistakes. Oh, they, they don't do these things wrong, and therefore they don't get called for them. My point is, is that that's the kind of, that's the kind of penalty that could have been called more times than it was called in this game and would have been legitimately accurate. I'm not even arguing that the two that were called were not accurate. They may have been, you know, I'm not going to argue that. My point is, is that when you have a play that happens that often in a game, when, when those things don't balance out, it's frustrating as hell because I know they're happening. And if I went back and scrutinized every damn play, I guarantee you I could find them. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we, uh, AJ and I talked about this a little bit because we noticed there were two times that a Georgia defender was uh, basically getting there early against a Alabama wide receiver, you know, should have been right. pass interference um, and it wasn't called. Um, yep. So, you know, there was some of that on both sides, but I said to AJ, well, they, these refs are missing some calls, but at the same time, I would prefer, I generally prefer refs to, you know, kind of let them play, you know, and be a little more aggressive versus the ticky tack. We're going to flag everything that we see, you know, because well, just uh, slows things down. I, I'm, I, I'm a little more nuanced than that. I, I don't like the just let them play mentality if it means they're not playing the game of football. The game of football comes with a series of rules. And if, and if those wide receivers are getting hit early, guess what? That is pass interference, and it should be called. But the reality is, is when you have two SEC teams, which play in a league where the league officials consistently uh, undercall that, that play, it's probably a good thing that, they, that, that whatever, wherever the crew was from this year also didn't call it very much because, because – um, I guarantee you those those kinds of plays are called much tighter in the Big Ten, generally speaking, than they are in the SEC. And I don't know where these big these refs were from. They may have been from the Big Ten, uh, but ACC. whoever they were. Okay, but which what? Okay, so they were ACC refs. But the point is, is that uh, that's still pass interference. All right, uh, it, it is. If if they got there early, if it was close, okay, then you give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe. But but. Man, I, I want them to call the, the fouls that are actually there. What drives me nuts is when they call the ticky-tack uh, offensive holding calls, okay, or hands-to-the-face calls, which are, frankly, not – they're part of the game. That, that's just the nature of contact. Uh, whereas, you know, something as critical as when you arrive, you shouldn't be able to hit the player before the ball arrives on a reception, right? I mean, that makes sense. That's logical. Right. So, well, and I will I'm, say, I'm, I remember one of the hands to the face, which is when George was on defense and the guy was pushing up against the player, Alabama's player's helmet from the beginning. 
and then his hands like slipped off and he did it again and on the second time the Bama's player's helmet came clean off so on that one it's right. like okay dude if you're gonna be that blatant about yeah. it of course they're gonna blow the flag right no I I, I understand and that's why I'm not arguing that they shouldn't have been called. I'm just telling you, Alabama players, both on offense and defense, also had their hands and faces, but it was never called. And I, and I believe that that's that favoritism that tends to occur when people are just convinced, well, Alabama is such a great team. you know. And within the Big Ten, I believe that Ohio State and Michigan, for example, tend to get those kinds of calls more than other teams. It's amazing how that happens to their benefit when they're playing anybody else. Okay. Uh, so there's a hierarchy that exists. It's a little bit like the, uh, there used to be a thing. There's actually a book written about it called the Jordan rules, right. okay, which goes back to basketball and the NBA and uh, Michael Jordan's time as, you know, the preeminent basketball player. And there were literally rules that seemed to not apply to, to Michael Jordan, right? Like, he could do shit. He could get away with stuff that no one else could get away with. Well, and wasn't there was two Jordan rules, right? Because there was that, right. and then there was the Jordan rules that the uh, Pistons came up with to yes. beat him by being real physical. Exactly, which is which is right, which was somewhat of a counter to the fact that before that they kept getting beat by Michael, um, and then it was frustrating, and so they said, "This is how we're going to do it." And, and they, they, they got away with it. Right. So you're exactly right. Uh, but my, my point is, you know, that these superstars in, in professional sports and certainly as teams in collegiate sports shouldn't get these benefits of the doubt just because, oh, they, they're a team that plays clean. And so we're going to assume that they're not going to have very many penalties. And it seems like refs go into games with that expectation and the opposite also being true. And we've been on the other end of that over the last decade, because our teams have historically been high penalized teams, Nebraska, I'm speaking of, and we tend to get more ticky tack calls than any other team I've ever, I've ever observed. And I'm tired of it. So that's why I'm sensitive to this issue. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure you were like me and uh, poked your head up when the refs called the, uh, the defensive uh, interference, you know, like the clapping oh, yeah. stuff. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I explained that, that to Kim. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one interesting stat here, you know, even though um, uh, Georgia was getting all that pressure on Bryce Young, they only actually had three sacks on him over the course of the game. I would have thought that right. would have been higher. And, um, but and most of them were late. At least two of them were in the last in the fourth quarter. Right. At, right at the very yep. end when the game was over. They got Basically over, back yeah. to him, yeah, a couple times. Um, but that goes to show how often they were getting back there and pressuring him to throw early or you know making him run, yes. which I think right. exposed some of his weaknesses as a, as a quarterback because he did not look like the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback tonight. He made some throwing into double coverage, you know, through two interceptions. Um, you know, he and AJ was when I told AJ that uh, he won the Heisman because AJ hasn't been following much college football. He was a little bit surprised. Like I didn't see anything Heisman worthy out of this kid tonight. Right. Well, the, the the reality is is that he was throwing he was throwing some of those balls that were that you look at now and you say that's questionable. But but when his two superstar wide receivers were healthy and playing, 
those were throws that that where he was throwing the ball up in the air and letting his athletes go make a play and and it and it and it worked in his favor a lot throughout the season um um but then di- didn't work in the national championship game because they weren't there but i think a bigger factor there might be the offensive line cuz we commented in that oh, after yeah. talk about the sec championship game where Bryce Young had enough time to eat a sandwich back there and throw the ball with all the time his offensive line was giving him against Georgia in that game. Very much the opposite Absolutely. in this one. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he he was. He it, it was it was amazing to me. I was like, I had heard so much about this Georgia defensive line, and I'm watching this game, and I'm thinking, okay, either Alabama's offensive line is you know all you know all Americans and on steroids or something uh, because they were completely clean up man i mean there was no pressure at all and then and then in the national championship game man uh yeah uh, those guys well and and there were a couple players on on um uh georgia's defense that were truly playing possessed they were absolutely attacking uh full bar every every play Mm -hmm. yeah like you said compared to that sec game where they got tired uh, throughout the game and especially when Alabama was running that hurry up and stuff um, this time you know they were the ones that all the had all the energy and Alabama was getting tired in the fourth quarter yep exactly that is yeah. true so yeah congratulations to Kirby Smart you know a, yep. a former Saban assistant beating Nick Saban um, you know they've been considered the best team the whole year and was only derailed by that championship game so you know kind of nice to see them uh, get it together make some adjustments beat Alabama of course uh us two are going to be happy anytime Alabama loses um and prevents Saban from getting another championship trophy um I saw that uh I believe it was it was higher this championship game had higher ratings than last year's one um but still like I think the second lowest in the time that the playoff has existed um which isn't too surprising to be given that it was a rematch to SEC teams you know, which we talked about on the previous podcast. I, I think that's because the the fact is the quality of that game and the suspense and interest that should have existed for a game that, that was, that was that well played and that tight, that game should have garnered record uh, uh, viewership, but it didn't because, because the decisions by the college football playoff committee over the course of the entire college football playoff period have slowly degraded the interest in the sport and made it into a regional Southeast dominant sport. That is a regional sport. This is no longer a national sport and they need to recognize and, and, and own that in their decisions going forward. Um, I will say, I think one other factor is that it was a very, you know, defensive game in the first half and, you know, that both teams were kind of making some mistakes and penalties and stuff. Right. Um, and you know, I saw some comments on like Reddit and stuff of some people saying it was a boring game. I didn't think so. Cause I like seeing good no. defense played, um, well, but yeah, but, but, but compare this to, you know, some of those like Alabama Clemson games, right. Where they really were score fest and it was very back and forth on who was scoring touchdowns and stuff. Right. That's what the general audience prefers. Generally speaking. Right. The, the, the non-football audience. Right. Exactly. And that's why almost every sport professional or, or progressively even collegiate sports have, have moved in the direction of changing rules to enhance offense 
because they think that's what interests people. But it, it, it interests people that don't understand the sport. Uh, people who understand the sport can appreciate the incredible athleticism that was going on when those defenses were stopping each other, right? And they can appreciate then the intensity and the importance of every play and every drive when getting three points means a lot, right? When they were getting those field goals, you you felt like that was big, right? Uh, because you knew the other team wasn't going to be giving up a lot. Um, so I, I, I just think the perspective is is wrong and it's not what the sport at its core was about. So, um, I, I know, but I I love the, I love the play. I'm just frustrated as all get out with the sport that they've chosen to go in this, in this path and, and, and don't even get me started on all the things that are going on outside of the lines that are killing the sport. So (laughs) we'll we'll have plenty of, uh, a podcast over the course of our, uh, off season, to drill down on things like NIL and uh, and the money that's now being paid to recruits and shit like that, which is absurd. Yep. Um, the last thing I want to say about the game, which I thought was an interesting stat, just to show how uh, much more productive, you know, Alabama's offense is being overall in terms of yards gained, but it didn't end up leading to touchdowns scored, is that uh, Bama had 30 more plays than Georgia did overall. So that shows you how much more their wow. offense was out on the field. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and th- I mean, 30 plays, I mean, you know, a 10-play drive for a touchdown or for a score is considered a, a long drive. So you're telling me they had three more drives, you know, uh, than, than Georgia and still didn't get points. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, because when Georgia that's did, amazing. you know, generally Georgia, either they were kind of, you know, like one first down and then three and outing or uh they got some sort of big play you know like they got that big running play right big pass in, in the third quarter mm-hmm. i think that got them a touch their first yep. touchdown and things like that right that's right yeah that's right yep um switching mm. over now to some uh national news. hey hey hold on hold on now so do you have the stats in front of you uh i've got some written down here yes Oh, just some written down. Did you happen to write down first downs? Yep. Yep. It was... Uh, how, how many first downs? Uh, 20, Georgia, 22, Alabama. Um, oh, pretty yeah, close. Pretty close, pretty close. And then third downs I thought was interesting. Uh, Georgia was 4 of 12, and Alabama was 9 of 20. Um, so, you know, Alabama almost was at 50% on third downs, but the fact that they had 20 third downs goes to show you how often Georgia was forcing them into that situation. <laughs> Right, exactly. That defense was just not, not making it easy. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a, that's that's an impressive stat. It's also crazy that Georgia was three of twelve and won the game. Uh, usually, when you're three of twelve on third oh, down, that means you didn't do well. Uh, four of twelve. I don't know if I misspoke. Oh, four but, of twelve. But okay, still. but still, yeah, that's that's thirty three percent. Yeah, uh, that's not where you want to be. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Um. But yeah, switching over to some national news that's happened since we last did a podcast. Um, this one happened, like I think, like the day after we recorded, which was kind of funny. Uh, but um, we already knew that Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, who had been the starter and then been superseded by the young Caleb Williams, was transferring out of Oklahoma. But then it got announced that Caleb Williams, the starter, was going into the transfer portal, um, you know, after having a good season for him. 
um, which is obviously a shocker to everybody, you know, and of course people are scrambling who are looking for a, a quarterback and everything. Um, and so from what I've seen so far, it seems like there are two main options uh, in terms of why he's doing this. Either he's doing this in, you know, an NFL kind of way to try to get more NIL money from some sort of Oklahoma booster, you know, to be convinced to stay at Oklahoma, or B, he may be seriously considering going to USC following his coach, Lincoln Riley, uh, and kind of leaving Oklahoma in the lurch. What do you think about those two? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you that those would be two of the more likely scenarios. I believe it is the one where he's just trying to free agent himself and go out there and see what other, well, and, and of all places, Central Michigan University, who had had a good season and won their bowl game, they put together a package and threw an offer out to him of a million dollars a year NIL money for, them, for him to come to CMU. Did you hear that? I think I saw the headline about that. Yeah. 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 They had put together some, some group of investors that were willing to, uh, to uh, invest in, in Caleb coming to CMU. Yeah. Now, I, <laughs> which, which, which leads you to believe that, okay, this is the beginning of a very bad trend. Right. No, yeah. Well, and I, um, I don't think the NIL craze has gone that far where a quarterback on the level of Caleb Williams would, you know, willingly go to a much, you know, less prominent school, you know, even if they were paying him a good chunk of money um, because he still wants the prestige, right, to play in front of a crowd of tens of thousands and, you know, have that national attention uh, I, and all that stuff. I, I suspect he feels like he's going to get pretty close to that kind of an offer. Uh, at after it's all after all the dust settles, uh, that he's going to get that kind of compensation uh, from Oklahoma. And right. He believes he'll get it. He'll get it and still be able to be at a big boy school. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I mean, if Central that's, Michigan, that's the, if Central Michigan can get that kind of money together, then one of these big, like we know for a fact, Texas can. You know, they've already right start shilling out which, money. Which, 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 by the way, that that consortium of uh, investors and. Uh, business owners has now put together a package for all the tight ends. You know, they, it's already come out about the, the offensive linemen. Now they've got another one uh, with some of the same participants that have set up a, a program for all the scholarship tight ends at Texas. So I suspect by the beginning of next football season, every group uh, within the, the, the uh, uh, Texas football program is going to have an arrangement for NIL money. Mm-hmm. And yep. so these these play these players aren't even having to go out and actively pursue nil with a local you know uh, burrito place. They don't even have to do that. They just have to sit around and wait for this consortium to put together a package for their position group. Yep. Well, and I saw a quote from uh, Saban, even I believe, where he said that uh, like. Congress needs to, re- or somebody needs to regulate this, you know, that it's kind of out of control. And I do feel, you know, it's a little bit um, suspect coming from him because he's one of the few places that could afford oh, yeah. to not pay as much NIL and just say, hey, you're coming to Alabama, you're going to win a national championship with me, right? He's one of the few that doesn't, right. has enough prestige that he doesn't have to do that. Uh, but still, you know, I think he's a more old school oriented coach and I don't think he likes what's going on right now. 
No, he, he doesn't because frankly, you know, what you've done in the past will be irrelevant if somebody else is willing to outspend you. If, if, if Alabama wasn't willing to out, outspend Texas and Texas A&M and other schools, it would only take a few years, you know, a, a rotation of players, five years, let's say, and Alabama's stranglehold on getting the best talent. And it doesn't matter how dynamic their recruiters are. If they don't have the money behind it, they're not going to get those players. Those players are going to go to where the money is. I'm telling you, that's a fact. And so, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't want anything. Now, wh- why he thinks that uh, legislators or legislating it somehow from the federal government standpoint is, is going to do anything is absurd. What he should have been saying or speaking to was the college presidents. They're the ones that have the ability to change this. They're the ones that were, were absolute weak-minded weaklings who weren't willing to address the issue of, of, of uh, student-athlete welfare and simply acknowledge that they needed to provide a stipend. You know how much easier this would have been if they said, you know what, every revenue-producing sport athlete is going to get uh, twenty-five dollars or $30,000 a year and every, um, uh, in exchange for their uh, name, image, and likeness rights, um, and then that will that number will be you know evaluated uh, on a cost of living increase every year from now on. So there would be a little bump every year, and then the non-revenue kids are all going to get twenty thousand. And if they had done something like that, this would be over. Okay, and then they could have gone to their 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 contributors and their boosters and said, hey. Uh, we need to have, we need to create some funds and stuff to pay uh, separate from all the other university stuff to pay for these stipends. But instead, now you've got you've got athletes, you've got individual players making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for an example, Texas A and M is likely to sign the number one recruiting class this year, and there is rumor that 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 group of athletes, which between uh, freshmen and um, transfers is, I think, approaching you know the upper 20s, maybe 30 players, is going to be splitting somewhere just short of 25 million dollars. Holy cow! So they're going to be they're going to be getting paid, uh, yeah, uh, like 800 thousand dollars a player uh, is what they're doling out. It's <laughs> stupid money. So I mean, I'm I'm telling you, this thing went from zero to 200 miles an hour way faster than anybody thought that was in a position of uh, to to influence it. I think these presidents totally abdicated their power uh, and their responsibility and they should all be collectively beaten at the stake for that. <laughs> beaten at the stake. There we go. From they really Smith. should. Yeah. It's it's stupid. Yeah. Be- they were stupid and they were weak. They didn't want to make a decision. So they threw it over the goddamn wall and said, you guys do your own thing. Let's have the wild, wild west and see what happens. They, I, but they had no idea that these boosters would go nuts like this. Now, why they didn't know that, because anybody who remembers college football from the 70s, when, you know, when uh, cheating was overtly rampant, um, would have known that the wild west was not what we wanted. Right. Yep. No, there's truth to it. And it, well, it does go to show, you know, the, the pent up demand, right, that was there for these athletes skills and everything, you know, and when the 
coaches are, you know, the highest paid public employees in the state, you know, making $10 million right. a year and all this stuff, you know, off of these players' hard work, you know, especially for, like, the big star players, right? I can understand the resentment that was there before, you know, that, like, I'm doing so much for this university, you know, and they're doing all this and I'm getting nothing. Um, but now, like you but say, we, 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 we've, jumped, we've jumped to the opposite end of the pool now, <laughs> you know, in, know. in one year, yes. we've, we've jumped the opposite and, end. Exactly. It wasn't some slow progression. They weren't doing the, you know, breaststroke. No, they were, they were doing the, the they were flying on that water, man. They, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what, you know, they were in a speedboat. Uh, but yeah. And so, you know what, that's, a, this is a great topic for another podcast because i have so many opinions on yes. this and uh and it's it's just out of control it's yep. stupid yeah well, it's def- going to ruin our sport well, and we got to talk about the solutions too yeah because yeah. i have some ideas that way too yeah we'll definitely do a full nil episode here in the off season um yeah we're gonna switch over now to some nebraska talk um because okay, there has do that. there has been quite a bit of uh news uh here in the past couple weeks um we uh, we were we knew that we were looking for a quarterback um, since Adrian Martinez transferred and everything, um, and uh, turns out that we got the guy we were after, which was Texas quarterback Casey Thompson. Um, from what I was seeing, the general consensus seemed to be that of the transfer quarterbacks that were in the portal, aside from Caleb Williams, you know, who is clearly a shock and isn't going to Nebraska in any circumstance, um, Casey Thompson was the best probably that we could have gotten so it seems like it was a good uh a good win for scott yes absolutely he was the target for sure and i, I thought even when he came out uh, into the portal i thought he was a one-year guy but i now have learned and understand that he has two years of eligibility left which if he chose to use both of them could be really valuable to us uh because it allows him to really reap the benefits of the other big uh, 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 get from the portal, which was a wide receiver from um, uh, who was a, yeah, from LSU, who was a five-star coming out of high school and has really got some tremendous skills. And, uh, but, but it only had modest success at uh, LSU so far, uh, but it could be a huge difference maker for us, both, in the receiving game and in the uh, punt and kickoff return game. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's LSU's wide receiver Trey Palmer uh, that we also got. And then just recently here in the past couple of days, the Texas A&M running back uh, DeAndre Jackson. Um, yes. Yep. Now, DeAndre was a less uh, a less highly regarded guy. Uh, he was a four-star on, on, a, on a one site at least, and uh, but he was a three-star on Rivals. And kind of not, uh, I mean, regarded as good, but not a great get, but uh, is is built uh, in a way that I think is the kind of player that we want. He's about 215 pounds, you know, 5'11", 6' foot tall. I mean, he's, he's big enough to handle the rigors of the Big Ten, but hopefully has enough speed and vision and, and, and you know, shift to uh, make it real. He comes from uh, Stone Mountain, Georgia, which is a, 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 a perennial power and, and source of enormous number of Division I athletes. So he's played at a very high level going back to 
early in his high school days because he's been playing against some real talent. Uh, so I think any, I think he's got a couple of years left. In fact, at least three, if not four years of eligibility. So he's almost like a freshman. That is good. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, to cap things off, uh, for Scott Frost here, um, we had our, um, defensive line coach. This was, uh, previous, uh, previous to this. I don't know if we mentioned on our last podcast, but our, uh, defensive line coach, Tony Tutoy Tuiati. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I yes. forgot again. Yes. <laughs> uh, darn <laughs> Hawaiian names, and I'm here in Hawaii. Yes. I know. You got to go talk to somebody about that. <laughs> uh, but he left for Oregon, um, and we had kind of talked in a previous podcast about how maybe Scott was kind of almost hoping for that in a way because it let him shift some people around on the defensive side of the ball um, to handle different responsibilities to open up a spot for a special teams coach which we've been begging for for weeks now and turns out that's what he did uh bill bush is no longer an analyst he's going to be a full-time special teams coordinator and then mike dawson has been moved from linebacker outside linebackers coach to handle the defensive line Um, now and keep uh this is another something about mike dawson so he was one of uh scott's original staff then he left to take a job with the New York Giants of the NFL, I think, for a year or maybe two. But he was going back because he was he was one year short of of getting um, retirement benefits from the NFL for being a, a, an assistant coach. Meaning he had been he had already been in the league in his prior in his career, uh, except he was one year short of the the number of years you needed to be eligible for for retirement and so he went back to new york but then uh when we had an opening uh the the following year he came back to scott's staff but the opening was for outside linebacker but he had previously been our defensive line coach and done well actually uh because in the first you'll recall that our defense was pretty good in the first year of, of Scott's tenure. And then, you know, um, uh, Shenander has just kind of built it from there. So, um, Dawson is a guy that Scott was very familiar with. uh, That was the defensive line coach at UCF with him. So, um, this is going to be a natural fit for him to slide down to the defensive line. It's, it's, it's a, it's probably a good thing from a coaching perspective. Now, Tuiati was a very good recruiter. Uh, and was uh, responsible for some of our uh, our better defensive line recruits that we've gotten here in recent years. So we're going to miss him on the recruiting trail. But the good news is Bill Bush, who is our new uh, special teams coordinator, is also known as an outstanding recruiter and has connections both in Louisiana and, uh, and the Midwest, Nebraska and the Heartland, and has successfully recruited uh, in this area. So uh, I expect big things out of Bill Bush as a full-time assistant coach as well. Yep, yep. And as we had mentioned on m- many previous podcasts, since special teams was so bad this year, um, it felt like an obvious um, sign of improvement You know, for us in that regard would be to get a full-time special teams coordinator, especially when you have one who's talented in that regard on your staff already as a, you know analyst or whatever. Um, so I'm, I was very glad to see that announcement. Um, that basically now only leaves um, the question of who is going to take over 
those responsibilities as the outside linebackers coach and who our running backs coach is going to be. Um, but I would say uh, so far here in this offseason, uh, between the transfers Scott's been able to bring in and then these changes on the offensive uh, coaching staff and bringing in Bo Bush for special teams and everything, you know, Scott's been doing what I've been wanting to see him do. Um, so I think there's some positivity in the Husker fan base about that, which uh, was sorely needed. I, I would agree. I would agree with you. I think that's a good assessment, Alex. I, I think we've done a lot of the things that he needed to do, especially understanding the limitations. I mean, he's not going to be able to go out and get the AAA plus guy to join his staff when he's a, 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 a lame duck, right? Uh, but he was able to exceed that expectation, frankly, a little bit with the guys he's been able to hire so far. And, and I think we have enough talent. Boy, if you look at like uh, Trey Palmer and then the guys we already have in the program, uh, and now we've got a quarterback who, if you watch um, Thompson's uh, film, I mean, that guy can throw it 65 yards on a dime. He really does have a strong and reasonably accurate arm. So if we, if we can have an offensive line that comes together and, and is able to block and keep the people away from him long enough for this kid to do his thing, uh, he's going to have some receivers to throw to. And, and, and he's going to look pretty good doing it. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about what our offense could be. And now my whole focus based on all the recruiting and everything, as well as the players we have on the, on campus already, already on the team. It's all about the offensive line at this point. I think the skill at running back wide receiver, tight end, it's all good enough to be really good collectively on offense. It's all about the offensive line. And then defensively, our secondary, you know, we lose a couple of uh, really talented and experienced safeties, and uh, we lose a corner. But we had some depth at corner, and we had some great young safeties that were, frankly, waiting for their turn. So I'm fairly confident uh, both, I think, our secondary coach is outstanding, and I think we have enough talent that we're going to be fine in the secondary. We're, we're returning quite a number of our linebackers except for Jojo Doman. And obviously he was great. I mean, all Big Ten and everything. But, but I think that they're going to be solid at the linebacker position uh, with you know three returning starters in the middle, um, one coming off of a redshirt year because he was injured. Um, and then, and, and so, you know, um, it's all about the defensive line. And the offensive line, if the lines improve and, and, and are able to solidify themselves, we could be a decent football team next year. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if Scott could go out right now and get one really good recruit for the offensive line, what position would you want him to get? Wow. Well, you know, we lost Cam Jurgens at center. So if there was a center in the portal, who uh, was exceptional and, uh, well, you know, at their previous school and, and still had, you know, a year or two of eligibility left, I would say that would be number one. And number two would be a, a left tackle. Now, we have some very highly recruited players, some top 100 rivals, top 100 type of players at, uh, at offensive tackle, uh, but they have not panned out. They are not getting it done. 
and I don't know if that's because they were overranked, so to speak, in that they don't have the foot speed to do what needs to be done. But our, our offensive tackles were atrocious this year. Now, they were young. They were sophomores and freshmen. So you're, you're, I'm hopeful that a year of experience and another year in the program, strength training, all that, and just repetitions, they're going to look a lot, lot better. Because, you know, supposedly everybody and their brother thought they had the talent coming out of high school. So it's not that they lack talent. Right. But, uh, but if I, anytime you can get a good left tackle, you take it. So it would be center or left tackle. There we go. Um, and uh, in regards to Casey Thompson, I was just going to mention that, you know, there were a lot of plays this year where we had receivers that were open, right? Showing that yes. Scott's offensive yes. system was working, but then Adrian would often overthrow them, right? Or, you know, Adrian couldn't be accurate. Or just not see him. With the long ball, right? Or not see him. Right. So if we can get a quarterback, you know, who has protection, as you mentioned, that's very important, but who has a decent amount of protection and then can actually be more accurate than Adrian and hit those open receivers, uh, then, yeah, a lot of these games where we lost by seven points uh, could go the other way. Right. Yep. Keep in mind, if we if we score one more touchdown in every game, we're 11 and one. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's an easy thing to say, but uh, but it's true. It's true. Um, well, and I was talking with AJ a bit too, as we were look. I was showing him the schedule for next year, and Game Six is the critical point for Scott, right? Because that's where his contract yeah. says that, uh, uh, you know, his buyout goes way down. Um, and we 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 fight our non-conference opponents. We have Northwestern at the Ireland game, right, to start things off. We play Oklahoma at Game Four, but it's at home this time. Uh, and Oklahoma clearly is having some dysfunction, you know, with all these players leaving and everything. Um, right. And then I think we play like Rutgers and in Indiana in games yeah. five and six. So with all yep. these changes and everything, you know, Scott really should be like five and one, four and two by that game six. You know, if we're not, he's in trouble. Well, I, I would say if he's four and two, he's probably in trouble. Yeah, I, I think he's. I I genuinely think he needs to be, he needs to be five and one, because uh yeah I've I've got that right in front of me so I I can give you because I I want to uh, parlay that into the next conversation so yeah we do the Northwestern game out in Dublin, and then we uh, play I don't know who it is uh, is it North Dakota I think so I think yeah. it's North Dakota and, and and then we play like maybe Southern Miss or somebody and then OU. So and those are all home. So all all of those home games. Well, first four not games, the Dublin game, but <laughs> not the Dublin game, but the other three, and then the and then the first uh, Big Ten game, uh, uh, Indiana is also home. So our first, our, uh, out of our first five games, we have the Dublin game and then four home games. Right. Okay. And then Rutgers after that. Now Rutgers is 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 a very very talented team uh, who played really well this year. And and has had the best recruiting class in forever for them. So they are going to be a team loaded with talent, and we got to play them at Rutgers. And if we go into that game five, uh, four and one, having let's say you know beaten Northwestern and then and then and then lose to OU, um, if we're if we're four and one and in that game, man, Rutgers is going to fight their tails off to beat our ass, right? But we damn well better win that game. And be five and one at that point. Right. 
if we're not, we're in trouble. Because I remember looking at the schedule, and uh, we do have some you know bye weeks in there, but um, our last four games are our hardest games because we play like Minnesota into Michigan, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Yeah. So yeah, with no with with no bye week. Right. So yeah. So it's it's like we better get a good record before then because that stretch is going to be right. hard. Exactly. And and we play Illinois before Minnesota. And keep in mind, Illinois is a team that although they didn't have a lot of talent, they overachieved because they have a, a, a good coach who understands how to play fundamental football, which is something that Scott is not is yet to demonstrate. Um, and we got to play them um, uh, the week before that. So it's Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. That's a tough final stretch after our second bye week. Now I, 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 you know, since we're on schedules, you know, uh, schedules just got tweaked by the big 10 because of all the weird shit that happened over the last couple of years with COVID. They, they tweaked a few things, but, but let me give you a Michigan schedule. Okay. Okay. They, uh, cause they're the defending big, big 10 champions. And, um, they play, uh, Colorado state, Hawaii, Connecticut, Maryland, Iowa, Indiana, then Penn state, then a bye week then Michigan state, Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, and then Ohio state. Now, now tell me that doesn't produce at least 10 wins. If not, if not 11 wins until you play Ohio state. Right, because the their two crossovers I mean, are us, are are and us and Illinois, Illinois, and yeah, yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I mean, and then and they're and, and Iowa and, and Iowa, that's the third one, right? And their non conferences have anybody that should really challenge them? Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. right. And and their first four games are at home. Their first away game is the Iowa game in uh, October. Right. <laughs> Yep, yep, a good I mean, schedule for that. You can't, uh, yeah. I was just uh, speaking with our friend Brian, who's been on the podcast a few times and is a Michigan fan. He said, I, I think this might be the easiest schedule we've ever had <laughs> in terms of just, in terms of the path. Because there's, I mean, you know, they, they had in the past, they would have historically been playing, you know, highly ranked Notre Dame or, you know, um, some other big name school, you know, one of the USC, UCLA, Washington, um, you know, that sort of deal, or maybe a Miami or a Florida state, none of that. And th- this schedule is, is powder puff for Michigan. So if, if, if they aren't, if they aren't going into that Ohio state game, you know, at least 10 and one, they're, they're greatly disappointed, right? Th- they probably should be 11 and zero going into the Ohio state. game. Right. And we didn't touch on it much, uh, but uh, there have been rumors that uh, Jim Harbaugh may be going to the NFL, which have happened in the past and are still continuing to happen, which seems crazy to me given his great success at Michigan this year. Um, but you were making the point that with that kind of schedule next year, he'd be crazy to leave because he's got a good path to make it to the Big Ten Championship again. Absolutely. And if if he does that, even even if he didn't win the Big Ten for a second time in a row, uh, let's say he only went 11 and one because he loses Ohio state and then Ohio state is the big 10 champion or whatever. The fact is 11 and one still 11 and one in the eyes of, and so if, 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 uh, NFL teams are viewing him and suiting him, uh, this year, they'll be doing it with much bigger numbers 
in a year from now. So he would be dumb to leave right now. That would be crazy. Mm. He needs to stay at least one more year. And then if the NFL comes calling and that's what he wants, that will be the time for him to jump ship. Right. Yep. Yep. Makes some sense. So. All right. Well, yep. this is the end of the uh, college football season for this year. You know, it was a disappointing season for Nebraska, but as we mentioned, there have been a lot of changes in this offseason, you know, new players, new coaches, etc. Um, so we'll definitely be looking forward to that spring game, you know, to see some of this new talent on the field for the first time. Um, and, well, and the, and the new offensive coordinator, right? Whipple is going to be on on display in the spring game. That's true. Um and uh, as we mentioned, we'll we'll try to keep it to maybe monthly podcasts here and talk about some of these broader things going on in college football, like NIL, the transfer portal, um, you know, future playoff expansion, things of that nature. So there's plenty to keep us busy here. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Re- regretfully, it'll uh, most of it will just get me into a rant, uh, which of course I think the listeners kind of like when i lose it uh a little bit but but uh um yes there's i mean we are in a major area of transition and i and i'm going to make a prediction that i think the instability of of uh you know uh conference realignment is going to bubble up pretty significantly here as well you can already feel the tremors going on in the in the group of five type of uh, uh conferences but I think that group of five stuff is going to really start to percolate even more as as teams try to position themselves better for whatever comes next. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, and those, like you said, the fact that these uh, negotiations over the future of the playoff, right, are ending in disagreement uh, goes to show that there's definitely some behind the scenes things going on there. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, if you out there enjoyed listening to this, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'd love you to leave a review there. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Leave a comment, all that good stuff. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you for joining me for this episode, Dad. And until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. I guess I should say next month. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. Got to revise it.